I'm actually part of a research group that, of pastors that are developing a, um, some kind of journal article or something that will come out of this research about being a family together as a church. I'm going to talk about becoming family over the next five weeks between now and Mardi Gras. And uh, by the way, yesterday was Epiphany, so you can go ahead and take your Christmas decorations down, all right? If you leave them up till June, you are really late. And if you, put them up, if you leave them up till July, you're just really early, okay? But uh, king cakes have gone out, and we had someone, I think it was Faye, stood in line for an hour and a half getting king cakes. I don't know where Faye is. She's, oh, she's with the kids. But uh, it's an interesting season in New Orleans, and it's um, an interesting season in the Church of Jesus Christ. In these United States, we are hearing that on the religious surveys, the fastest growing category is the nons, those who check, uh, they are non-affiliated. And we see declines across the board uh, in our country in attendance and worship and things like that. So uh, we may look at that picture and think, wow, the church isn't doing very well. But countering that, we have places like India where the church is exploding. In fact, in just a few years, if not already, there will be more Chinese Christians than there are American Christians. And Africa is the first continent, they say, to become majority Christian. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forward in power all over the world. And even the places where I have been, I have seen that with my own eyes. From uh, the high mountain uh, in Peru to the roughest terrain in the world in Papua New Guinea. When you show up there, you find the church of Jesus Christ in the cloud in these remote places, and if you go to the great cities of the world, you find the church of Jesus Christ there gathering and thriving. And yes, there are more Christians in the world than any other religion. Uh, that's true about the world today. And so I don't want you to be discouraged about what God is doing through his church. Instead, I want us to focus on the victory that we have in Christ and knowing no matter what our particular circumstances are, that Jesus Christ is caring for his church and he is caring forward his purposes in the world. And I want to read for you one of the two references to the church in the Gospels. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the word church is only used twice in all four of them, both times in the Gospel of Matthew, once in chapter 18 and here in chapter 16, where I start reading in verse 13 this famous text. When Christ came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, 
Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So you have this great encounter on the road to Caesarea Philippi. And Caesarea Philippi was full of gods, named after one of the Caesars. And the Greek religions had gathered there in Caesarea Philippi on the edge of the Holy Land. And as they were going up there, Jesus asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter makes this great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds, on this rock, I will build my church. It's a glorious statement. It's a wonderful statement to keep in your heart as Peter and James and John and Andrew surely did as they went out into the world and experienced persecution and hardship in seeking to share the gospel. These words of Jesus must have rung in their heart and in their ears throughout those years. I will build my church. So I would say to you, brothers and sisters, this is the church of Jesus Christ. He called it my church. I will build my church. So I can say for sure that Jesus is building his church in the world and that it belongs to him. And we can with certainty confess this. No matter what the state of any individual church or the church in any particular geographical region, Jesus continues in the world population to build his church. And he says here, the gates of hell will not overcome it. And that is true today just as it was when Jesus uttered it. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. So we can rejoice in that and we can confess it week after week, no matter what our individual experience, the church of Jesus Christ marches forward triumphantly in this world because he is Lord and he is building his church. Anytime you talk about what is the true church, you get into difficult waters. If you look up the true church, if you Google it, as I did just a little bit ago, you will discover that four of the top ten sites for the true church are the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormons. And a fifth one is the Worldwide Church of God. In both of those instances, and particularly with Joseph Smith in Mormonism, Joseph Smith said, God told me all the churches are wrong, don't join any of them. And he was to start the one true church. And Herbert W. Armstrong had sort of a, a similar take on things. Now, the other five are from Catholic and Protestant sources that you would expect, okay? So I would say to you this. In every generation since the first century, the true church has been built in this world. And for anybody to say they're all wrong, it's not a true church, would be to speak against what Jesus uttered when he said, I will build my church. So, yes, the church has problems, okay? And in every generation, that's been true. 
But the true church has also been manifest in every generation since Jesus died on the cross. Here in, in the family of humans, the church of Jesus Christ has been going forward in all these generations. When I talk about the state of the church, I feel somewhat inadequate. Jesus knows the state of the church, and he alone is Lord of his church, and he knows the hearts as well as the outward appearance of the church. So Jesus is the one who assesses the church most perfectly, and he does so in seven instances in the book of Revelation. Jesus speaks to John, the revelator, and he says, say to the churches these things, and there are seven letters that are sent to the churches there. Now, Jesus said, I will build my church, but by the end of the first century, for instance, the church in Ephesus, and we just went through the whole book of Ephesians, written to the church in Ephesus primarily. The church in Ephesus, though it was hardworking and desired to be pure morally, Jesus said to that church, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Repent and do the first works, or I will come and take the candlestick out of its place unless you repent. That was the church at Ephesus in the first century. So if you think the church is in dire circumstances in your experience, consider what Jesus said to this church in Ephesus. They had left their first love, and it was still the first century. He said to the church at Sardis, you have a reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. That was the church at Sardis in the first century. It had a name that was alive, but it was dead. And then Jesus wrote the letter to the church at Laodicea. And every pastor hopes that his church will not be the church at Laodicea. Because to this church, he says, you think you are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. And you don't even realize that you are poor and wretched and blind and naked. You ought to ask me and I'll give you what you need. And then that famous verse, to this church church in Laodicea, Jesus writes and says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll just open the door, I'll come in. It's a picture of a church with Jesus on the outside looking in, trying to get in. You see, the church suffers from human frailty, and we get discouraged, and sometimes we get hurt in the church. And we have a whole population of people who are de-churched. They used to be churched, and now they're de-churched. And they got de-churched because they experienced sinfulness and difficulty and conflict and hardship and maybe judgment in the church of Jesus Christ, and they left the church. This is what I would say to you. Every church is afflicted by the human condition. Just like you are not perfect, so your church is not perfect. 
And if you feel sometimes like you are just full of blemishes, sometimes the church is full of blemishes. Now, it's true. Sometimes the church is healthy. And sometimes the church seems sick. And sometimes the church is like Sardis. Overall, it's just dead as it can be. Even though there's a few people, he said, who have not denied my name, and I'm going to empower them. That's what he wrote to the church at Sardis. Sometimes the church is like that. There's some people there who really are holding on to Jesus. But the church itself just seems to be dead. So, what about our church? How would Jesus assess the condition of our church? I thought to myself, what are the big questions? You know, what what do you ask yourself? And fortunately, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, which had all kinds of problems, by the way, (laughs) in the first century. And he wrote to them, and he, he told this group of people that were questioning his apostolic credentials, whether he was really an apostle or not. They were they were challenging that. He says to them, Examine yourselves. You've been examining me. Examine yourselves. Whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Well, if an individual can do that, maybe a church can do that. So I want you to think about it for a minute, okay? Maybe on an individual basis. Are you in the faith? Are you in the faith? Have you stepped into faith in Christ? To say you are in the faith means that you have believed the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again from the dead. He's coming back to receive his own. Okay, This is the good news that we proclaim in all these generations and around the world. Are you in the faith? Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord? And believed in your heart, God raised him from the dead. So I ask that question of myself. And I say, yes, I have believed in Jesus. And I am in the faith. Is my church in the faith? Yes. We preach Jesus and him crucified. We challenge people to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. We do that not only from this platform, but in our small groups and in all our teaching ministry. As much as we can, we seek to present Jesus. We are in the faith. Now, this is a wonderful truth, okay? We are seeking to exalt him. And as I said yesterday at the funeral service for David Canost, the family asked me to read the text where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That verse from John 14, 6, we quote again and again because we believe exclusively that the way to the Father is through Jesus, just like he said in that passage. So as a teaching body, as a group of Christians who hold to Jesus as Lord, We are in this faith, this good news. And then he, Paul the Apostle says to them, and check whether Christ is in you. So are you in the faith and is Christ 
in you? It's sort of a similar question. But Paul says in one place, Christ in you is the hope of glory. And you might be thinking, well, what does it mean for Christ to be in me? It's like John wrote in the first chapter of his gospel, John 1, 12. As many as receive him, he came to his own, his own wouldn't receive him. But as many as received him, to those people he gave the power to become the sons of God. Even to those who believe in his name. So Christ is in you if you have received him. Look, ever since he was a babe, he's not going where he's not welcome. If there's no room in the inn, that's okay. He'll be born in the stable. You know, he's not pushing his way into places where people don't want him. But if you want him in your life, you can receive him as Savior and Lord. And when you do, he, be, he gives you the power to become a child of God. So the question, are you in the faith and is Christ in you? To that question, I would say, personally, I, I believe I am in the faith and Christ is in me. And maybe that's your response too. And for our church, yes, Christ is in us. He is at work in us. We style ourselves as Jesus people. I wanted to use that language from the very first Sunday that I came. I described myself to you as a Jesus person. Because I want to keep the focus on Christ. I want Him to be the center. Not our ethics. Not our morality. Certainly not politics or culture. But instead that Jesus would be the supreme Lord of His church and the center and the focus of all that we do. Now, now that focus needs two streams. The first is the proclamation and teaching of the Word faithfully. They gathered around the Word in the early church and that is so important. But the second is the doing of the Word. Not just hearing the word, but being doers as well. And First Baptist New Orleans, do you know that God has developed in you and through you this marvelous witness to the power of Christ by what you do in the community? It's amazing. Everywhere I go... I find people who are saying, hey, I appreciate what First Baptist does in this ministry or that ministry or another ministry. And let, let me tell you about serving God. Serving God is work. The word is spelled W-O-R-K. You spell it work the same way as you show up at work every day or whether it's the Lord's work. And sometimes it's hard and it demands time and energy and it's often costly. And not everybody wants to do the work of God. Not everybody wants to. In fact, I had a man just point blank tell me one time. He said, you talk too much about serving. Not everybody wants to be a servant. Well, the reason I talk about serving is I think it's intrinsic and essential to the gospel. And if we don't want to serve, we're not following Jesus. Who came not to be served, uh, not to serve, uh, to be served, but to serve himself and to lay down his life. Hey, there are competing ways of, of supposing what success is in the world. 
I mean, you can live your life thinking that when you look in the mirror in the morning, you are seeing the most important person in the world. Okay? You can look at yourself, this is the most important person in the world, and I'm going to take care of me because nobody else will. And you say, well, there's truth to that. Certainly there is. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, okay? God wants you to love yourself. But he does not want you to live unto yourself. He wants you to live unto him and to those who need you and are around you. And here's what the the table says. And the whole life and ministry of Jesus says. If you want to live life to the maximum, you don't make it about me. You make it about Christ and other people who need you. In fact, the apostle describes this as not tending to your, your own interests, but to the interests of others. Jesus says, this is, this is love. For a man to lay down his life for his friends. You say, that just doesn't sound like good living to me. It just sounds better to be, be grabbing and, and storing up and drawing it onto yourself and exalting yourself and making your, yourself mighty. No, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Now look, you can't get away from that teaching and stay close to Jesus, okay? If it becomes about you, somehow you have become disconnected from a fundamental that Jesus taught us, both in his example and in his, in his words. And we got to live there. Somehow you will maximize your life as you serve others. There's a song. I don't know if you ever ran across this, Ricky. You have so many of the hymns just woven into your life, which I love. But you know that song, Lord, let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way. That even when I kneel to pray, my prayer will be for others. How many of you have ever heard that? Think about the guy that wrote that. His name is George Miggs. He wrote it more than 100 years ago in 1902. So it's an old song. Think about, think about what he was reading, uh, uh, writing. Lord, help me live from day to day in such a self-forgetful way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer prayers will be for others and then the chorus is others lord yes others let this my motto be help me to live for others that i may live like thee hey if i can somehow live that others might know him live in a vital connection of love with people around me where I am seeking to serve and to bless then I am following the footsteps of Jesus who laid down his life for me and I am becoming like him and he is actively in my life shaping me as I do this work of service sometimes people ask me what happened in your family I have nine I have eight brothers and four sisters And 
all of my siblings have been in staff positions in churches. And when we get together sometimes, we just assign a book of the Bible to discuss, you know. We have numerous pastors still in the group, maybe half a dozen or more that are pastors and do other things. And they just say, what happened? And I thought about that. I have thought about how my parents reared me and what it was. And I'll tell you what I concluded. You want your child to really get it, that is the faith that is in Jesus? Get them serving. Help them find a way to serve. My first mission trip to Mexico was when I was 11. I remember it because I slept in the luggage rack in the station wagon. And that was not very happy, okay? <laughs> but that's how we grew up. It was serving. We have underestimated the power of service, both in our lives and the lives of our children and the lives of those around us. And we haven't fully appropriated how important it is to be serving the Lord even as you study His Word and sing the hymns and do the worship because service is not something that happens accidentally. It's not something that you do when you're finally mature. Service is something that helps you grow up, helps you understand the Word of God, helps you internalize the gospel. When you go and help the hungry and feed them a meal, there's something about that moment that gives you a greater understanding of the work of Christ in your own life. The same is true when you're teaching an ESL or you're taking in a foster child. Something about that act of service in Jesus' name now that changes who you are on the inside. Others, Lord, yes, others. Let this my motto be. Help me to live for others that I may live like Thee. Not bypassing who I am. Not failing to maximize what God has called me to do, but realizing that I maximize my own calling and the utilization of my own gifts, not as I become selfishly focused on me, but as I learn to give my life and lay it down for the sake of others as Jesus did for me. This would be a wonderful year for you as you develop your service unto God. Don't get tired. Make sure you have a way to renew your strength, that you're walking with the Lord and in His Word and prayer, and that 2018 might be a year when you're giving yourself away as never before to family and friends and those around you, that Christ might be exalted in your life, and that you might Follow him in the laying down of life for others. As I prepared this message, I thought there'll be somebody in the worship center today who has stood on the threshold but has never stepped into faith in Christ. Is that you? Are you the one who has hesitated at the threshold? Have you ever said, yes, 
I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin and rose again from the dead, and I am receiving him today as my Lord and Savior. Have you had that moment where you stepped into the faith? Is Christ in you? Christ in you is the hope of glory. That is the hope of your eternal presence with God. It is Christ in you. Is Christ in you? Have you received him as Lord and Savior? Are you starting this year still hesitating on the threshold of faith? Wouldn't you like to step in and commit your life to Christ just as he laid down his life for you? Let's bow together. If you're that person who's been standing on the threshold and looking at making a commitment to Christ, you could do it right where you are. Just praying, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me and you rose again from the dead and I open my life to you and I receive you as Lord and Savior. Would you pray that prayer? With faith believing that what God has called you to do, to receive Christ, he will enable you to do, and it will happen in your life as you make that prayer. Lord, I pray today that 100% of us in this room will be in the faith that Christ will be in us in this new year. God, that someone today will begin this new year by stepping into the faith and trusting Christ Lord, we pray that you will give us wisdom and strength to know what you want us to do and to do it. In Jesus' name we pray.